right, have a seat. Thank you so much for being with us. I just want to echo uh, what has already been said about what a great week we have had, so many things that have been going on. And I just want to give a special thanks uh, to all those involved, Vacation Bible School, Mr. Steve, uh, Miss Amy, Miss Whitney, Miss Tessa, all the people who were responsible for putting together all the different skits, all the different um, crafts that were going on, all the food that was provided, all of our leaders. I mean, it takes a village to put on the Bible school that we do each and every year. And I'm so grateful for everybody who who helped out. And for the Miss Beautiful pageant that was yesterday, again, uh, thank you so much uh, for the Gobble family, for Caitlin, for this being um, her brainchild. We were just thankful to be able to host. And uh, she has asked that, uh, she wants to make sure that you are aware. She says a big thank you to the congregation for your support in last night's Miss Beautiful pageant. Without all of you who gave money, volunteered, attended, the day would not have been possible. East Brainerd stepped in a big way, and we are so grateful. Thank you for making this year's event such a success. And uh, it was. It was a great day. And again, thanks for all those who participated in that and helped it be able to come about. I know that uh, we've already said uh, goodbye um, to Jeremy and Whitney and the girls, to uh, the Wootens, but also there's another uh, group of rock stars that are going to be heading out. Uh, Brent and Amber McMillan, this is their last Sunday to be with us. Our softball team is taking another hit. Shortstop superstar Brent is going to be going to be the new associate athletic director at Lipscomb University. And so he's going to begin his job tomorrow. And yes, that means that Carson and Avery and Marley are going to go along. Sorry for those of you who teach them in our Bible class, but they are going to be leaving as well. And we wish, we wish God's blessings on them as they head up to Nashville. And if you are going to be in the Lipscomb area, please stop by and see Brent. Maybe he can hook you up with some tickets to something that might be, might be going on up there. Uh, we learned last week about the whole you-hooing, right, and uh, having excitement as, as Christians. I heard this week that there was, or that there is a church where the preacher actually um, has taught the congregation to woo-hoo when it's time to open up the Bible and have a study. Because he said that he noticed that everybody would get excited whenever he would tell a story or there would be something funny that he would want to talk about. And, and then he would say, and, and now let's turn in our Bibles. And everybody would go, oh, you know, kind of like, okay, time to go to school. And, and so he said, we're going to stop all that. He said, and we're going to woohoo whenever somebody says, hey, we're going to get into God's word. And the only problem is they don't tell the visiting preachers, apparently. And the, the gentleman that was relaying this story um, said that there he was, excited to be a part of the worship, looking forward to the study. And he said, now if everyone would open your Bibles, and the whole congregation went, woohoo! <laughs> he said, it was weird. <laughs> but it was good. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. And we are going... We're going to discuss a subject for a few minutes this morning that I have heard discussed before and wish that the preacher would just sit down. I wish he would just sit down because he kept digging the hole deeper and deeper, it seemed. And I felt for him and I wanted to run up and just finish the lesson and say, hey, y'all all come and then let's all, then let's all go. Because it's a subject that 
no matter your best intentions, oftentimes the things that are said, they end up coming out the wrong way. But it's a subject matter that we need to deal with because it is an issue that we have all grown up with in one form or another. And if we're going to be talking about grace in the real world, if we're going to be talking about the way that we treat each other, we have to take some time to stop and to say, what is the connection between grace and race? You turn on the television, you pull up your Twitter feed, you don't have to wait very long until I guarantee you there's some news article, there is some story that is put out for your consumption that is talking about race relations, if not in this country, from around the world. And you can go on social media, you can go down to the ball field here in town, you can go to the bar across the street, wherever it might be, and you can find individuals who will be quick and who will be glad to talk about all the different racial issues that they have seen, that they experience, the way in which race plays a part of their life. And so much is said about race and so much is said about the way in which people are talking these days and the different things that go on and the, the things that make all of the news. I think it's important for the church to be able to speak into this conversation because I guarantee you scripture speaks to the conversation. And God speaks to the conversation. And when you turn on the TV and you see hatred when you see the pictures of violence, when you see the animosity and the anger that is so prevalent within so many, you wonder what, what is the answer? I intentionally chose not to show pictures of hatred today. They say a picture says a thousand words and this subject just saying that we're going to talk about it already can fill many of you with emotion and I felt that I didn't need to necessarily add to that by showing some of the awful scenes that have been put online and you have seen throughout the last few weeks, throughout the last few years. Instead, I wanted to put scripture up this morning. Where it says in Philippians chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He says, you should not be doing anything that lifts you up and puts somebody else down. You should not be living in a way, you should not be speaking in a way, talking in a way that does anything where you would be exalted and where someone else that you were eating with, that you were passing by on the street, that you're in the classroom with, would in any way feel belittled. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. The word there, vain conceit, actually, its, it's origin means to be puffed up because of where you came from. Yeah, to be puffed up because of where you came from. And the crazy thing about that is none of us chose where we came from. Do you know that? None of you chose to be born to your family. None of you chose what country to be in. None of you chose what language to speak. None of you chose what color your skin was going to be. 
None of you chose any of those things. And so Paul says, look, church, if you are in Christ, then you are to do nothing because you want to feel like that you are better because of where it is that you've come from and what your background is and what it is that you have going for you that you think is all great and wonderful. Now, I understand that we all enjoy being around others who are like us. I prefer husky, bald people. There's just a comfort level that, that, that I have. We want to be with people who, who share certain values or to, who have certain skills or, or maybe that we do relate to because that individual looks like us. That's understandable. The problem comes in though when we begin to value what it is that we like above others. So that I value those who are husky and bald above those of you who are skinny and have the long flowing mane. So much so that I will refuse to eat with you and I will refuse to, I'll refuse to play with you and I'll refuse to talk to you and, and I'm going to refuse to worship with you and, and I'm going to refuse to participate in anything that you participate in because you're not husky and you're not bald, because you're skinny and you've got the long flowing mane and, and I wish God had been kinder to you. I wish he had given you all that he had given me and taken away all that he's taken away, but for whatever reason, he chose to exalt me above you and so I'll pray for you and I'll feel pity for you and I'll shun you and I'll say awful things about you. All because you're not like me. And I think that everybody should be. And Paul says, you can't do that. You can't do it. Now we all like to think that we don't have any type of prejudice or bias or bigotry within us. And yet we have been raised in a society that oftentimes unknowingly we have certain messages that are given over. Let me ask you this question. What color do you think God is? When you imagine God, when you imagine Jesus in your mind, what color do you imagine? Now understand something, the color that you imagine God to be is not right or wrong, there's nothing to it. Scripture says that God is a spirit. This idea that God having color, I know it is something just for us to talk about, but as soon as I say what color is God, there's a certain image that pops into mind. And for some of you who are a little older, maybe this image popped up into your mind. Now I know for those of you who are younger than me, you're sitting over here going, who in the world is that guy? And, and why did my grandparents just laugh? That's George Burns. And George Burns, back before many of you were born, played in a movie and his character was to be that of God. And so maybe for some of you, when I said, what color is God? And the first thing that came to mind was, was George Burns, or, or for some of you who are younger, maybe this is the person that came to mind, right? 
Ah, all of a sudden now all the grandkids are going, that's right, that's my God right there. Morgan Freeman. God doesn't look like him, I guarantee you he'll sound like him, right? That's it, right there. See, the there's nothing wrong at all with having a certain vision in your mind of uh, this is the color I think that God is. The problem becomes when all of a sudden you say, God must be my color. And because God must be my color, that means, well, that means God must not like you. And you don't look like God. And because God doesn't like you and because you don't look like God, well then, I can treat you any way that I want to. I can say anything that I want to, all because I know what God likes. Church, do not put words in God's mouth. And do not think it is up to you to decide what God does or does not like. Who God loves and does not love. And the color that God does or does not see. I told someone yesterday that we were going to be speaking of this subject. And they said, you know, it's just sad that we even have to talk about it. It's sad that we would have to discuss this among the community of God. To talk about the idea of, of race and, and grace. Here's something you might find interesting. Do you know that 90% of American churches draw 90% of their people from one ethnic group? And only about 8% of churches in America can be called multiracial, multiethnic, or interracial. We like what we like. And we like being with individuals who look like us. Is across the board and in every color and every racial background because, again, there are just things that we feel like, man, I relate to you. You relate to me. And because of that, there is a, a comfort level then that we have. And there is this, this feeling of belonging that we have when we are with other people who look and who act like us. That's who we are as a church in Western society in this country. But yet you look at scripture and there's a different picture that's been given. If you've got your glory, praise, and honor, I want you to write down a few things with me this morning. And here's the first one. Here's why we're going to address this subject. Racial prejudice questions God's character and creation. You know, it was a few weeks back that we said at the very character of God is the idea of justice and righteousness. The idea of fairness and the idea of grace. The very character, the very foundation of God. And therefore, because that is the foundation of God, it is to be the foundation of God's people. But racial prejudice questions God's character and says, God, you did it wrong. Because you made people who do not look like me who have a different color skin, who talk differently, who like different things. God, you made a mistake in your creation because it's obvious for me to see that everybody should be my color and everybody should be my size and everybody should have my wants and my likes. And because you didn't, then there's an issue here. 
Actually, racial prejudice is a form of idolatry because we end up putting ourselves on the throne instead of God and saying, if you had given me the opportunity to create all humanity, I would have done it differently. And yet, here's what Scripture says. Acts chapter 17, Paul talking to a very diverse group of people and he says, from one human being, God created all races of people and he made them live throughout the whole earth and he himself fixed beforehand the exact times and the limits of the places where they would be. He said it was God's choice. God chose to make all of the individuals that you see and he chose where they were going to live and the the different cultures that they were going to have. And for you to look at one culture and to put your culture above that, or do you, for for you to look at someone's skin color and make a judgment on that individual, you are putting yourself in the place of God and saying, God didn't know what he was doing. And yet it was his idea. It was his purpose. It was his plan. So racial racial prejudice can have no place among the people of God because it was God's plan for there to be a multi-looking people. We weren't all supposed to be the same. It was in the very design for God. And maybe, maybe you need to write this down. You understand that racial, racial prejudice is a sin, right? It's a sin. And it's a sin that affects, a sin that affects you no matter where you are within the body of Christ. You see, when Peter came to Antioch, Paul had to confront him face to face. Here's Peter, the man who Jesus looked at and said, because of your faith, because of the statement that you made that I am the Christ, he says, I will build my church. It was Peter who would stand up on the day of Pentecost and proclaim entrance into the kingdom of God. It was Peter who would be told by God that there is nothing that is unclean. He would be reminded that God is no, he doesn't play favorites. He would go to the house of Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and he would say, the community of God is open to everyone. Those with a Jewish background and those with a Gentile background. But it was also Peter, who Paul says when he came to Antioch, had to oppose him to his face. Because what he did was wrong. It's in Galatians chapter 2. He said, because when he first arrived, he ate with Gentiles believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, these would have been Jewish Christians from Jerusalem, he says, Peter would not eat with the Gentiles anymore because he was afraid of criticism from those who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. He was afraid he was going to get made fun of by by his peeps. He was afraid that those who had his background, who looked like him, who spoke like him, who were kosher like him, that they were going to criticize him. He might be shunned. He might be put out of the group. He might not be able to do the things that he had always wanted to do with them. He wanted to contain that relationship. And so he ate with Gentiles until they showed up. And then he only ate with the Jews. And as a result, other Jewish believers followed in Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas, who was known as the son of encouragement, ended up being led astray by the hypocrisy of Peter. And here's the way that Paul, here's the way that he rounds out this, this story that he tells. 
He says, I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message. He doesn't say, you know, I saw that they were doing a bad thing. I saw that Peter and the Jewish Christians, I saw they weren't being nice. He didn't say, I, I, I saw that Peter made a mistake. He, he didn't say, I, I, I saw that Peter was, just got all caught up in his background and he didn't, no, he says, I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message. Because racial prejudice is inconsistent with the gospel of grace. It's a sin. And because of that, Paul says, I had to call him out. And I had to call him on it. Because if you refuse to eat with someone around the common table of Christ, it is sin. If you look at someone and say, I will not have a meal with you because of your color. I will not sit with you because of your language. I will not fellowship with you because of your background, your education. It is not consistent with the gospel of grace, Paul says. He says, I had to call him out. Here he was, an apostle. And he had forgotten that his identity was in Christ. His identity was in Christ. And so because of that, in Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. That's what Paul would write to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 3. In our day, we would say that, you know what, in, in Christ's family, there can be no division between Anglo and Hispanic. There can be no division between black and white. Because among us, you are equal. We're all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you're new to East Brainerd, you need to hear something. If you struggle with this concept, you're going to have difficulty within our church family. Because we welcome people who are a different color than you. We welcome people who come from a different place than you. We welcome people who speak a different language than you do. We welcome people who've had different upbringing than you. And we stand against any type of racism or bigotry or white nationalism or whatever the word is today that, we, that people want to use to try to divide race within this country and within this world, we stand against it because it is not consistent with the gospel of grace. And that was when you were supposed to go. Woohoo! Because that's a good thing, church. It's a good thing to realize that the gospel of grace says, you know what? All are welcome. All are welcome within the family of God. We all have this common relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, oftentimes we think about salvation only in exclusive terms, this idea that Jesus and, and me, that Jesus came to save me, and I'm thinking about my personal relation with Jesus. I like what N.T. Wright once wrote. He said, whereas much of Western understanding has, been, has seen the individual as the goal, Paul sees individual Christians as signs pointing to a larger reality. He said there's a larger point to this. It's not just about you and Jesus having your own thing going. 
And so he'd write to the church in Ephesus and he would say, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. And he has united Jews and Gentiles. By the way, just to make sure everybody understands, if you were not Jew, you were Gentile. Okay? In this context, if you were not a Hebrew, if you were not a descendant of Abraham, if you were not a part of the Jewish faith, okay, everybody else is a Gentile. And so for all of you guys, guess what? You're Gentiles. So as you look at this, he says, look, there has been peace brought between Jews and Gentiles, individuals and races that they despised each other. He says this happened because in his own body, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated the people. And he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. And so then together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Now notice what Paul said happened. He said Jesus breaks down walls that divide ethnically different people. You say, what is the answer to all the things going on? You cannot regulate love. You cannot pass laws that will change the behaviors of people. But Paul says, I've got the answer. If you want to know the answer to black and white, if you want to know the answer to Anglo-Hispanic, if you want to know the, the answer to all the different tribal differences throughout the world, Paul says the answer is Jesus Christ. And you can pass every law that you want, you can have all types of political rallies, but Paul says until the message of Jesus permeates a society, there will not be a change in the way that the people act. Because Jesus breaks down the walls that divide ethnically different people. And he creates a new group of humanity. That's why we can say that our identity is no longer as Republican or Democrat or even Mexican or American. It's not black or white. Our identity is in Christ. And that identity supersedes everything else. So the way that we treat each other is not determined by where we came from, but who lives within us. And I'm going to treat you as Jesus has already treated me. And because Jesus has loved me, even though I am different from him, and because Jesus has loved me, even though my ways are not his ways, and because Jesus has loved me, even before I even ask it, you know what? I will love you too. Because through the cross, individual sins are forgiven, different ethnic groups are reconciled, and hostility between people is destroyed. Because Jesus is the peace that brings ethnically diverse people together. And yes, that's the correct peace that's up there. It's not a piece of the puzzle. It is the peace of God. It's the peace of God. Now, I was trying to think, man, how do I show this? How do I show this in a way that would, I don't know, maybe, maybe help there's a verse in, the, in your Bible, and it's got a word that those of you that have worked on cars before, you know, but nobody works on cars a lot these days, and all those things get hooked up to computers, but some of you used to be shade tree mechanics, and, and you, know, you knew what a manifold was, right? If you know what a manifold is, just raise your hand. You see, look, look now, notice everybody that just raised their hand, they're over 55, okay? That's just... Just kind of how it goes. Now, in Ephesians chapter 3, in verse 10, it says that 
the intent of God was that the church is that through the church the manifold wisdom of God would be seen. Now we see that we go manifold. What man? What is that? It's really cool. The um, the word that is translated as manifold there within your um, English Bibles is a word that actually means multicolored. Do you know that? It's the multicolored wisdom of God that is seen throughout the church. And so here's the idea then. God has this expectation. It is his plan that his church is going to be Palapokilos. It's going to be multicolored. That's God's plan. He wants there to be color within the church because guess what? He created color in the world. And it is God's plan that in the church, the multicolored wisdom of God would be seen and it would be experienced. Now, I know some of you, when you were growing up, you guys, you were like me, you're kind of OCD. And whenever you got the Play-Doh, man, you would play with this stuff and it would be really fun, but, but you never did what? You never mixed the colors. All right, now I'm, I'm picking up a red and I've got a red and a blue in my hand and some of you, you're already breaking out in a sweat. <laughs> already, these two things of Play-Doh are too close to each other. All right, because something might happen and Chris just might get excited and start clapping his hands and all of a sudden, all right, I know, oh man. Now, now for some of you, this is what you did with the Play-Doh and you upset the rest of us in, in kindergarten, you did. We did not like playing with you because we would open up the different jars of Play-Doh and look in it and it would be like, oh man, you gotta be kidding. Who was that kid? I mean, right? It's like, who is that kid that just, that mixed up all the Play-Doh colors? And now, and, and now it's just one glob of, of multiple colors. Now, you need to understand something. It's one thing for you to have OCD and to really be having a hard time right now as I am mixing all of these things together. I understand it. It's making me feel very uncomfortable right now. However, you cannot take your dislike for mixing Plato and equate that to the human race. Can't do it. Oh, you can keep your Plato separate. You can keep your Play-Doh separate and you can have your, your quirks and issues and you can make sure that everything stays just like it came. But in God's view, God says, you know what? It is in the church that my multicolored wisdom is seen because I expect the church to be multicolored. Now, oftentimes we talk about the fact, well, God is colorblind. I want to change the way you think about that for a minute. I don't necessarily think God is colorblind. I think God sees color. It was his idea. And I think it was his idea to have multi-colored congregations of people. I don't know if you guys realize it or not, but we have a black song leader. Did you know that? We do, yeah. We do. 
And I know people have come up, you know, to Derek before and in different conversations and there's been, you know, different talk and, and different things been, been said and comments go on, you know, hey, um, man, I just want you to know, you know, I, I see you just as another brother in Christ. But guess what? He would like to be seen as a black brother in Christ because he's black and that was God's idea and God had a great idea. And guess what? Earlier today, we had Marco, and Marco was up here on stage, and his tan's a lot darker than mine, and his Spanish is a lot better than mine. You know what? Marco is originally from Guatemala, and he's Hispanic, and he speaks Spanish. And when we had the opportunity in 2014 to welcome Marco and other Spanish speakers into our congregation, we said, please come. Because we recognized that we were not the church that God needed us to be. We weren't. Because God's plan to bring people together is the church. That's his plan. What is his plan to deal with the racial strife? What is his plan to deal with the hatred that we see in our world? His plan is the church. So within Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ, you've clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, and there is neither male nor female. Now in this verse, God hits right at the idea of ethnicity. And he says there's neither Jew nor Gentile. He also hits right at the idea of class. And he says there's neither slave nor free. He hits at the idea of gender. And he says, look, there's, there's not male or female. Now that doesn't mean that all of a sudden Marco stops being from Guatemala and, and all of a sudden I am no longer husky and balding and, and all of a sudden Derek's not black. It doesn't mean that you're no longer male or you're no longer female. What it does mean is that together we are all one in Christ Jesus. Thank you. Yes. We are one in Christ Jesus. And church, you need to understand the multi-ethnic church is the testimony and witness to the God's grace. It shows God's grace. It's the witness and testimony of God saying, this is my creation. And my son did not die for one color. My son did not die for one language. My son did not die for one continent, for one group of people. For God so loved the, finish it with me church, world that he gave his only begotten son. Let's close out with a couple of quotes. First one is from a book, The Multi-Ethnic Church. And it says, is increasingly, in an increasingly post-Christian America, it will take a multi-ethnic local church to reach people with the gospel. The multi-ethnic church is a testimony and witness to God's grace. It is also an apologetic in a racially divided America and world. The best answer to the hate is the love found within the family of God. And so Paul would tell the, the church in Colossae, in this new life, one's nationality or race or education or social position is unimportant. Such things mean nothing. Whether a person has Christ is what matters and he is equally available to all. You see, church, that's 
That's the message. Where all of a sudden what you were is unrecognizable because you've been transformed into something totally different. That now you don't look like yourself anymore and you don't act like yourself and you don't behave like yourself because you were looking more and more as the person of Christ. I know I've said it over and over. I've said it multiple times today so that you would hopefully hear it and it would stick. The answer to the problems that you see going on within our culture must begin with the people of God. But I want to close with a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that he gave in 1963. He was talking about the racial divides within the country, specifically within the churches. This was the time when he referenced how that the most divided time within our country was during the worship hour on Sundays. And he says, now I'm sure that if the church had taken a stronger stand all along, we wouldn't have many of the problems that we have. And that the first way that the church can repent, the first way that it can move out into the arena of social reform is to remove the yoke of segregation from its own body. He was just echoing there what we have already seen through Scripture, that God intends for his church to be multicolored. It is the multicolored wisdom of God to bring people together from all backgrounds and races. He says, now I'm not saying that society must sit down and wait on a spiritual and moribund church as we've so often seen. I think it should have started in the church. But since it didn't start in the church, our society needed to move on. In 1963, he told Christians, he said, it should have been us. It should have been us that took the stand and said, this is not right. It should have been us that welcomed our black brothers and sisters into one congregation. It should have been us, he said, but because it wasn't, society kept moving on. And so the challenge for us today as the people of God, will we allow society to be the transformers of racial relation in the world, or will we as the people of God take up the mantle of God and be the people that he's called us to be? That's the challenge. And it starts with you, and it starts with me, in the way in which we treat one another, in the way in which we live as instruments of grace. And so, brother, come here. This sounds weird to this group over here and this group right here. But there was a time within our churches that you would not see this. You wouldn't see it. And there are those of you who are in this congregation right now who have grown up and have experienced those times and you know what I am talking about. Here at East Brainerd, we're a multicultural, multi-ethnic congregation. We're not perfect, we have our struggles, but we're doing what we can to be the church 
of God's intent. And so we ask you, white, black, brown, green, purple, any colors in between, to join us as together we live out the message of grace in this world. Will you join us as we pray? Father, I thank you for your love for mankind and for how you, in your brilliance, in your wisdom, and in your creativity, you colored the world in so many ways. And you gave us so many different backgrounds and cultures, so many histories, and so many stories. And Father, we thank you for that. And we thank you that you did not want any culture, you did not want any tribe, you did not want any group of people to be left out of the joy that is a relationship with you. And so you sent your one and only son into the world that those who believe in him might be saved. And you've given us all then the, the message of reconciliation where we go throughout the world sharing your love and your grace. Father, none of us here are better than anyone else. You do not love anyone in this room more than you love another. Father, we know that we disappoint you in so many ways and yet you continue to pour out your mercy upon us. Father, would you continue to teach us what it means to be a multicultural, multi-ethnic group of people? Would you open our hearts to those who are around us who are different, who come from different places, who think differently than us, so that we might be able together to learn what it means to live covered in your grace. Father, I thank you for the people who are in this room who for many years have been on the forefront, voices for you, who have called others to love, who have called others to forgive, who have asked for peace and respect and dignity. And Father, I pray for the generation that is rising up now that we would all be able to see the colors that are around us and rejoice in that beauty. And that we would be quick to share a message of love and to stand up to any type of bigotry or hate or racial prejudice that we see because we know it is not consistent with the people of God. Continue your work through us. That is our prayer. And as together as a church, we say, amen. Do you need to come this morning? It might have nothing to do with the message. It's a hard lesson, and let me tell you why. I've never known 
not being in the majority. And to get up today and to speak on behalf of brothers and sisters who are in this room who know what it means to live as a minority in this country. I feel that weight. And I pray I've done scripture justice. You might need to come this morning. It has nothing to do with what we've talked about. It could have everything to do with something that you brought in this room with you. And you need to come and say, I need the prayers of this church. Maybe you came today knowing that you wanted to give your life to Christ because you wanted to be covered in that grace and you want to be baptized into Christ. We'll, we'll woohoo with you if that's your choice. Or maybe you do need to come and say, you know what, I, I have lived with selfish ambition and vain conceit and I need to repent. If that's the case, run, don't walk to the fountain of grace as together we stand with our brother and sing.